0: Africa rise and shine Africa forza Africa amika na unai
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Nosikia Zuma, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, The African Union welcomes the election of Joe Biden and his deputy Kamala Harris to lead the US for the next four years. As the world marked International African Writers' Day, writers have emphasized the importance of literature for the continent. And in economics news, a smart Smartex says it is suffered two billion US dollars in exchange losses during its first full year of operations after the volatile Zimbabwe dollar struggled to hold its turf against the greenback. And in sports news, Tanzania under-17 national football side thrashed South Africa in their third match of the Kassava tournament. But first, up the news with Nolwazi
2: S.A.B.C. News, independent and impartial. From an African
3: perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says he looks forward to working with U.S. President-elect Joe Biden in tackling tough global problems. Ramaphosa says that the challenges include the coronavirus pandemic, climate change, human rights and global security. Democrat Biden has already started setting up his team to take over from Republican incumbent Donald Trump in mid-January. However, Trump has yet to concede defeat Ramaphosa's acting spokesperson Tyrone Seal.
4: Bilateral cooperation between our two countries spans a range of areas, including trade and investment, health, education, energy, the environment, science and innovation, safety and security, as well as regional cooperation to support the African Union's objectives for peace, security and development.
3: Former U.S. President George W. Bush has congratulated Joe Biden on his election victory, but other senior Republicans have refused to acknowledge the results of the ballot. President Donald Trump has continued to question the vote. However, former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, a member of the president's inner circle, says Trump needs to produce evidence to back his accusations.
5: If your basis for not conceding is that there was voter fraud, then show us. Show us. Because if you can't show us, we can't do this. Uh, We can't back you blindly.
3: Spanish Emergency Services says more than 1,600 African migrants have been rescued at sea or reached Spain's Canary Islands over the weekend. There has been a sharp increase in the number of migrants from West Africa attempting to reach the Canary Islands in recent months. According to the Spanish government, more than 11,000 arrivals have been recorded in the Canary Islands this year compared with 2,557 during the same period last year. The UN-backed government in Libya says at least 10 more bodies have been found in mass graves in the town of Tahuna, south of the capital Tripoli. The area used to be a stronghold of forces allied with the eastern base commander, General Khalifa Haftar. Dozens of corpses have been discovered in mass burial sites and elsewhere since the town was captured by pro-government fighters earlier this year. And Ethiopia's army chief, head of intelligence and foreign minister have been sacked as fighting continues in the northern Tigray region. Prime Minister, Ab- minister Abiy Ahmed's office announced their replacements on Twitter. Long-standing tensions between the central government and the local administration in Tigray bowled over into clashes last Wednesday. Dozens of casualties have been reported with reports of more airstrikes. For Channel Africa, I'm Nosy Zuma.
2: SABC News Independent and impartial From an
6: African perspective. perspective
1: african union has welcomed the victory of joe biden and his deputy kamala harris the chairperson of the african union commission musafaki mohammed says the continent is hoping for a new and stronger u.s africa relationship under joe biden's leadership koleto and reports from Addis ababa
7: mutual respect and shared values these are the expectations of the african union with the new leadership of the united states Countries of the Intergovernmental Authority for Development, IGAD, have also welcomed Joe Biden's victory with the hope that the U.S. will channel more priority to the region's biggest challenge of insecurity. President-elect Joe Biden, whom some African leaders have called Friend of Africa, visited the continent in 2010. He visited South Africa, Egypt and Kenya. President Trump never visited Africa. His priorities were also reduced towards the continent. He reduced the resources towards violent extremism operations in the continent. His immigrant visa ban and immigration policy reduced opportunities for Africans who wanted to migrate to the United States. Trump led the United States out of the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. This was disappointment to the continent since the U.S., one of the biggest emitters of carbon, would reduce commitment to owning up to the effect of climate change that is directly affecting Africa. His careless remarks like calling African countries "shithole" countries or saying that Egypt would blow up Ethiopia's dam attracted much criticism from the continent. Civil society organizations in the continent hope Biden will denounce African leaders violating human rights like former President Barack Obama did when he visited Africa. Humanitarian organizations, on the other hand, are hoping that under Biden, the United States will return repealed funds to humanitarian activities to ensure refugees and their host countries in the continent are well supported. Koleto Anjohi, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
1: Neither United States president nor the senior members of the Republican Party have officially conceded the presidential race as Democrats Joe Biden and Kamala Harris made history on Saturday by winning both the popular vote and the electoral college. A 77-year-old Biden becomes the oldest person to win the presidency, while Harris becomes the first woman, black in this instance or otherwise, to claim the vice presidency on a day that saw joy flood the streets and cities across the country. shown by Peace reports.
8: It felt like a new day in America. President-elect who received the most votes ever in the history of presidential races, so far over four million more votes than the incumbent, and a message of unity rather than division that has defined the last four years.
5: For all those of you who voted for President Trump. I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself. But now, let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies, they are Americans. They are Americans.
8: Biden promised to hit the road running, vowing to appoint a COVID-19 task force as early as Monday and to rejoin the Paris climate change agreement. with well, the Washington Post reporting, he'll reverse decisions to withdraw from the World Health Organization and repeal bans on immigration targeting Muslim majority countries, among other measures to reset relations with allies abroad.
5: What I must admit has surprised me Tonight, we're seeing all over this nation, all cities and all parts of the country, indeed across the world, an outpouring of joy, of hope, renewed faith, in tomorrow bring a better day. And I'm humbled by the trust and confidence you've placed in me. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. And work with all my heart, with the confidence of the whole people, to win the confidence of all of you. And for that, is what America, I believe, is about. It's about people. And that's what our administration will be all about.
8: He dipped his hat to the coalition that won him this high office, particularly black Americans whose support turned his losing campaign into a victorious juggernaut, while ceding the stage to his historic vice president-elect, who herself is seen as a future president.
9: Congressman John Lewis, before his passing, wrote, democracy is not a state, it is an act. And what he meant was that America's democracy is not guaranteed. It is only as strong as our willingness to fight for it. And when our very democracy was on the ballot in this election, with the very soul of America at stake, and the world watching, you ushered in a new day for America.
8: Harris also thanked the generations of women who had fought and paved the way for this moment.
9: But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Because every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities.
8: And as world leaders quickly lined up to congratulate the Biden-Harris ticket, a fuming President Trump refused to follow tradition and concede the race. Trump was on the golf course when a consensus of news organizations called it for Biden, returning later to the White House, where he continued to erroneously complain on Twitter that he'd won the election by a lot, while repeating conspiracy theories as his campaign pursues those through the courts. But something happened Saturday that is indisputable, a shift in power that even President Trump cannot control. And while he so far refused to pass the baton, this election shows us it was never his to give, rather that of a majority of Americans who voted for Joe Biden. I'm Sherman Bryce-Peeves in New York.
10: WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down
6: the
11: stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
7: For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Koleta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick.
1: It's 7.13 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Norwegian Refugee Council is profoundly concerned about escalating tensions in Ethiopia, a country already contending with mass displacement and widespread humanitarian needs. The NRC says rising hostilities in the Tigray region threatens the immediate safety of hundreds of thousands of people. In a statement on Wednesday, the NRC's Secretary General said that while the world focuses on the U.S. elections, regional leaders and the broader international community must remain alert and work actively to prevent Ethiopia from sliding further into conflict. NRC Regional Advocacy Manager Jeremy Taylor has more.
12: According to the World Health Organization, malaria cases have decreased globally from 251 million in 2010 to 228 million in 2018, with the majority of these cases 213 million of them recorded in Africa. Health Minister Dr. Zwilim Kize says that while some parts of Africa report a high burden of disease, South Africa is among the countries with low transmission rates.
13: I think, uh, I mean, our main focus is, is, is about the potential um, humanitarian impact. I think what we've seen is is a deterioration in, in the political relationship between the government in Ababa and, and the regional government in, in Tigray, and uh, the sort of sense that we're seeing a military escalation and so whilst we don't speak to, to sort of military development, our particular concern is about the humanitarian impact that increased violence or increased fighting could have because what we're seeing already in the country is a situation where there is already uh, quite a um, high humanitarian need across the country. Um, you know, the, the UN has estimated 19 million people, for example, are in need of assistance. Uh, there are already 2 million internally displaced people. So our fear is that if we see an increase in violence, um, that this could this could result in, in a sort of a, a, a um, an increase in humanitarian impact um, and need, you know, across mm-hmm. across the country.
14: Now let's talk a bit about the impact of the humanitarian situation in Ethiopia um, for the region at large.
13: Sure. I mean, I think we should start by saying that Ethiopia is a is a hugely important country. Um, mm-hmm. In its region, it, it's a, it's a regional powerhouse, um, and the other dynamic, of course, is that the, the area in which we're seeing this um, this violence or this potential increase in, escalation in in violence uh, sits up alongside uh, Eritrea, um, as well as as well as the border with Sudan. So, the, the, obviously, the fear is is uh, from our perspective would be about displacement, about people crossing borders, becoming refugees, being forced from their homes by violence. Um, but there's always the risk of, of, of other regional sort of instability, um, as, as the, the, sort of, the ripples of violence cross borders, um, and, and the implications for that could be um, significant. And so that's why, you know, for us, the message is really that, that Ethiopia is a hugely important country, and it's hugely important that we, that we are very alert to what's going on, and the international community is also conscious of what's going on and is keeping an eye on, on the situation.
14: Now, what sort of action is the NRC um uh, needing um, to help restore stability there in Ethiopia, um and of course alleviate uh, the human suffering as a result of this?
13: Sure, I mean from our perspective, we we continue to to operate as we as we have been. Um, we we provide a number of services. We, we, we provide shelter, uh, wash, which is uh, water, sanitation, and hygiene. Uh, we are providing. Uh, food support in a number of places across the country, focusing a lot with, with existing refugee populations, uh, which is something I hadn't mentioned before. Ethiopia also hosts refugees uh, from Eritrea, from Sudan, from South Sudan, um, from Somalia. So we work with those populations already. We will continue to do that. Uh, we have operations in Tigray. Those operations are um, ongoing. We they, we haven't stopped operating. But for us, it's, it's really a case of monitoring uh, at the moment. We, we really need to get a sense of... of if there is going to be an increase in need, if we're going to see an increased number of displaced people, uh, we'll need to be able to respond quite quickly. Uh, that usually requires resources, um, as well as assistance from authorities to be able to get to people in need. Um, that's, that's key. So for now, we're keeping a, keeping an eye on, on on getting a sense of where need will be growing, um, and if there is population movement um, that's displaced people, um, as well as, as as other areas like protection, um, and this, in the extent to which... Um, you know civilian communities are being affected and, and the particular protection concerns of of women or children um, depending on, on on how this uh, how this plays out
14: um and uh, just to finally let's talk a bit about uh, what's at stake here um if ethiopia does not receive uh the global attention that it deserves at this time
13: well i mean it's a critical country as i said before it's, it's a regional powerhouse and it's a country that is that is achieved so much in, in in the past 30 years or so if you know if we look at the development gains of the country um over the over the past 30 years the the country has, has seen consistent GDP growth um, we, we've seen millions of people being being brought from poverty even though the country still remains overall a very poor country mm. uh, we, we've seen since the since the arrival of, of Prime Minister Abdi Ahmed we have seen a political political loosening as well so so there's a lot of there's a lot of important reasons to, to, to say that you know, Ethiopia has made really important steps and, and we, we risk un, unravelling or undermining some of that progress. And I think that's something that, that really should be at, at the forefront of the consciousness of, of the, you know, the international and the regional community um, of which Ethiopia is such an important player.
1: That's Jeremy Taylor, Regional Advocacy Manager for the Norwegian Refugee Council on the line from Nairobi in Kenya, speaking to Zekona Health experts are confident that malaria can be eliminated in South Africa in the next three years. This would be within the deadline set for SADC countries to eliminate local transmission of the disease. South Africa is among the few countries in the SADC region that have made good progress in reducing the number of infections and deaths linked to malaria. This has emerged at the virtual SADC Malaria Day commemoration held under the theme. Community involvement is key to achieving zero malaria. Tami reports.
12: According to the World Health Organization, malaria cases have decreased globally from 251 million in 2010 to 228 million in 2018, with the majority of these cases, 213 million of them recorded in Africa. Health Minister Dr. Zueli Mkize says that while some parts of Africa report a high burden of disease, South Africa is among the countries with low transmission rates. It's also one of four-sided countries targeting malaria elimination, defined as zero local malaria transmission by 2023. Mkize says currently local transmission is at 5%, and 95% of cases are imported from neighboring countries.
4: South Africa has made steady progress in reducing malaria morbidity, and mortality over the past decades. Malaria cases have decreased by 78% from 64,622 cases in 2000 compared to 13,000 in the year 2019. And malaria deaths have decreased by 82% from 459 to 79 deaths between year 2000 to 2019. Professor
12: Karen Bunce from the University of Cape Town says malaria is not only preventable, treatable and curable, it can be rapidly diagnosed, unlike COVID-19.
3: And as you will all know, with COVID, it's a frustration that there's always a delay between taking a sample and getting the result. With malaria, within 15 minutes, your nurse or doctor can know whether or not you need malaria treatment. And that combination of factors really makes it a feasible goal to eliminate malaria in South Africa.
12: Nkiza says efforts to fight and eliminate malaria have been interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. He has encouraged those who suspect malaria infection to immediately seek help since the symptoms are similar to COVID-19.
4: I'd like to take this opportunity therefore to clarify some conflicting messages in regard to mitigation measures for malaria and COVID-19. We also encourage uh, closing windows at night and the use of fans and air conditions for malaria. The opposite is encouraged for COVID-19. That is to ensure the elimination of COVID-19 particles in the air. We encourage opening of windows to allow draft of fresh air in closed spaces and we totally discourage the use of fans or air conditioners in improved spaces.
12: Mkiza is the newly appointed chair of the Elimination Eight Health Ministers, a coalition of eight countries working across national borders to eliminate malaria in Southern Africa by
1: 2030. Tabi Lempele, Johannesburg. As the world marked International African Writers' Day on the 7th of November, writers have emphasized the importance of literature for the continent. The day was first commemorated in 1991 to celebrate the formation of the Pan-African Writers' Association, which is a Ghana-based cultural institution. Writers say writing and reading books written in African languages remains one of the important pillars for African society. Makhala Masiting reports.
15: Literature plays an important role of preserving and restoring Africa's identity and dignity. This is one of the common utterances among writers as the International African Writers' Day is celebrated throughout the continent. It has now been celebrated for almost three decades. At the heart of its existence is the diverse but rich cultural, political and economic heritage of Africa. Author Ace Mulose says literature is one of the key elements to impart African knowledge and culture.
16: In general, it, it, it's about the preservation of history, but it's also about the sharpening of the mind and uh, and critical thinking. And I think that's one aspect that we don't always explore, um, the fact that there's a huge difference between a person that consumes literature um, and a person that has no relationship whatsoever with books or with reading at large.
15: Author Sikobo Moshe agrees that African literature has posed themes around liberation and independence
16: I'm writing the books because I want to retain African stories as well as African history not only for us currently but also for the upcoming generation to get those stories as well as our history
15: as Africans Shubimu Mulali works at the Sissotu Literature Museum and says museums preserve the written word for generations to come
17: I think uh, writing it is still very important now, recently, because it it preserves the culture, it preserves the knowledge, um, uh, as well as you know, um, um, sharpening the skills of of, of the writers.
15: Mangau Metro spokesperson Kondile Kedama says that the municipality is investing in the preservation of African literature.
16: We've been doing some programs with the university. We've been doing some programs with our museums. Uh, in our endeavor to preserve this history, so it is our it is in the, it's in the interest of the generations to come to produce more work, to produce more knowledge and wisdom through writing and focusing on the continent, focusing on the stories that affect their communities. So this is a a, a program that will also be spearheading beyond uh, COVID-19, because at the moment. We are having a challenge of interactions and so But we are also trying to move towards the side of technology.
15: African literature offers an opportunity to hear the voices of African people. I'm Mahala Masideng in Bloemfontein.
1: It's 7.26 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa.
0: second there's always a breaking story
4: what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people
2: the government concurs with the views of the black economic empowerment council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit Last May, I asked constituencies at NEDLE to discuss youth employment
17: incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles.
4: We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs.
10: I've looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have.
16: Channel Africa, building Africa with love. Gujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m.
10: WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the
6: stairs
11: avoid touching your eyes nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus for more information on the coronavirus visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int
1: it's 7:29 central african time and our headlines up next with nosihle zuma
4: S.A.B.C.
2: News, independent and impartial. From an
1: African perspective.
6: perspective.
3: More than 50 million cases of the coronavirus have been res- registered across the globe. Iranian foreign minister has called on his country's Arab neighbors to embrace dialogue to end tensions in the wake of President Donald Trump's defeat. And South Africa's president says he looks forward to working with U.S. president-elect in tackling tough global problems. I'll be back with you for Bulletin at 8.
2: SABC News. Independent and
6: impartial
1: from an African from an perspective. perspective. Thank you, Sihle. It is 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The Governance Accountability Platform online discussion last Friday looked at Zambia as a special case of economic meltdown. Panelists were Zambian economist Oliver Sase senior financial economist Imgard Erasmus and uh, crisis management specialist Peter Leon, Hilda Kekelo reports.
17: In his contribution, Professor Oliver Sasa attributed the economic situation Zambia finds herself in to the great appetite for borrowing at a very high rate by the government. He said with the debt of more than 18 billion US dollars, both local and external, accrued within a very short time, the country is in a serious crisis.
2: Initially, as you know, for those that have followed the Zambian scenario, there was actually a state of denial Government not being willing and able to admit that there is a crisis. Um, I think now there has been a recognition, a little bit uh, too late though, because we are now heading towards an eminent default, especially with the eurobond bond holders uh, next week, they'll have to work on this. But essentially what we are saying is that uh, we are slowly getting into a very uh, serious uh, crisis, a debt crisis. But what actually worsens the debt crisis is a number of factors. One of them is essentially uh, the debt levels um, are mainly in the category uh, of very, uh, uh, very costly commercial external debt as opposed to, you recall earlier, we talking about the concessionary debt. Essentially, we have moved more towards uh, uh, capital markets. We have rolled out uh, three euro bonds. The first one, the bullet payment, is due in 2022, shortly after the elections next year. And uh, everything shows that we are actually running into some serious default challenges. but you see, the major weakness and the failure to really manage the debt stock and doing the right things, really, is really the low economic growth. You cannot really manage the challenge of debt if you are not growing in the economy. Uh, yes, of course, you can talk about, no, this is very high. But you see, being too high is relative to where you are standing. Uh, in other words, if the economy was growing, a debt stock present of slightly over public. We are talking about sovereign debt stock of around uh, 11, 12 billion US dollars. May not be too much, but if you look at where we are in terms of GDP growth, uh, that is actually quite quickly So essentially, what does it mean? It means that if you have to attend to this challenge, you have to grow the economy. You have to actually touch on those aspects that will make Zambia a good destination, a positive destination uh, for
17: foreign direct investment, for example, for reinvestment for those that are already here. On the means to grow the economy, especially through mining, crisis management specialist Peter Leon said a number of things happened that impacted the role of mining as the major economic contributor in the country. He said much of the policies taken led to loss of investor confidence and urged the government to be a little bit more kind to mining investors. He said Zambia is very important for the region, but the current economic situation is grave and likely to affect the neighboring states.
0: What happened with Vedanta last year, where the government put Concola copper mines, which employs 18,000 of people, into provisional liquidation without any notice to its 80% shareholder, Vedanta. This was done through the state mining company, ZCCM, uh, and Vedanta is still in court on their process and have instituted... A shareholders arbitration of London over that. That's still outstanding. So that doesn't send a very good message to the private sector or to the mining sector. The second thing that happens is this year the Minister of Mines, Richard Masukwa, started making some threatening noises to Glencore about the Mupani copper mine, which Glencore wanted to put on care and maintenance for good reason, because they weren't making any money from it. They put, I think, $4 billion into it. The Minister refused to allow them to do so. That battle is still continuing. I mean, whether or not Glenn stay in the country uh, is uh, questionable. Third thing that happens, Ray, uh, during the provisional liquidator's tenure at Concola Copper Mines, he's managed to run up a bill of $144 million to the Copper Built Energy Corporation, which is a listed entity in Ristaka. Uh And uh, what does the government do? It declares CEC to be the common carrier for Zesco, which is the Zambian equivalent of Eskin, uh, effectively nationalizing it. Then you have the situation um, now very recently lifted that the government imposed a 5% import duty you know, concentrate, which has basically made the industry uncompetitive. In addition to which, and this is an issue the Chamber of Mines has consistently raised with the government, you've got a situation in Zambia which is pretty unique in the world from a fiscal perspective, money, taxation perspective, you've got double taxation.
17: Answering your question on what is likely to happen should the country fail to meet the deadline next week, Professor Sasa said much will depend on what government decide to take.
2: We are now in the gross period of one month, which will expire on the 13th, which is next week on the 13th. Now, that is when the euro bond holders are going to vote, is whether or not uh, they accept the request by the Zambian government for a moratorium of six months. So essentially if we they say no, essentially
17: it means that we we'll have defaulted perhaps the implications we can discuss them later. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa.
0: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
7: Koli for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa.
17: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia.
0: Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time.
16: George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantaya.
17: Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka. In Yawundi.
16: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
0: Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa.
16: For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 for Channel Africa. I'm Arthur Scopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough and difficult breathing, seek medical advice promptly as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition.
1: It's 7.38 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa has run out of taxpayers and capital, which is why the government is now eyeing savings to get more money. This is the view of Davi Root, chief economist at The Efficient Group.
18: What I mean by that is, quite simply, that we know that the fiscal accounts are in very, very deep trouble and that the state needs more money, preferably the state needs to spend less, but as I said, needs more money. And the obvious place where they're going to get more money is from taxpayers. Unfortunately, South Africa is overtaxed to such an extent that I'm afraid that by increasing various taxes, we're not going to collect that much more. Uh, and additionally, the South African economy is uh, in a very, very deep depression. So there simply is not that much money that tax payer can pay over. And very, very, very important thing people need to understand this is that South Africa's tax regime is highly progressive, which simply means that relatively few people pay just about all the taxes in the country. And I'm afraid there simply is not scope to increase uh, taxes that much more. The only taxes that we potentially can increase that can bring in substantial amounts of money will be things like, for example, value-added tax. And value-added tax will uh, affect the poor, and which will be politically extremely difficult to do. So, so that's what I mean. We, indeed, we've run out of taxpayers.
14: Davi, is the COVID-19 lockdown partly to blame for this at all?
18: Without a doubt. The lockdown, has as my expectations, is for the economy to contract by more than 10% this year. So the economy is just not growing. And if the economy is not growing, that simply means that people are are not making that much money. And if people are not making that, that much money, they don't pay that much tax. In fact, the estimate is for the state's revenue, the collections in taxes in the current financial year, to be more than 300 billion rand less than the original budgeted estimates. Now, 300 billion rand is a huge amount of money. And the, the reason for that simply is because there's no, not much economic activities, and and tax collections is a function of economic activity. So yes, it is certainly to a large extent to do with the lockdown.
14: Now let's talk about your statement around um, savings. Uh, you say that uh, the government is now eyeing um, the savings. Uh, talk to us more about that.
18: No, okay. Let's just understand this, and this is this is not very difficult to understand. So the state this year will borrow. Uh, approximately uh, 17% of GDP. 17% of our total production in the whole country, that is how much the state will borrow in one year, in one financial year. Every day, the, states borrow, the state borrows more than 2 billion rand. 2,000 million rand is borrowed every day in the markets. So that is the amount of money that the state needs. Now, of course, they can get the money either from taxpayers, and I've just explained why that is not an option really anymore. The alternative is for the state to go and borrow the money, and they borrow this money in the Mm. financial market. And if people don't want to lend you money, and in fact, if the state wants to borrow money in the financial market, they have to pay very high levels of interest. We can see that. Just go and have a look at the bond market, for instance. The state in South Africa needs to pay approximately 10% if they borrow money for a for, for 10-year bond yield, for example. You can compare that with America, where they pay less than 1%, for example. Um, so people do not want to lend money to the state. And if, and if the state doesn't want to cut back on its own spending, then they must get the money from somewhere. And that is why I think prescribed assets will be back on the table again because the politicians are not going to cut back on spending. Where can mm-hmm. you cut back on spending? Are you going to cut back on education? Are you going to cut back on health services? Where are you going to cut back? And if they're not going to cut back, then they must get the money from somewhere. And the only pot of gold that is left in the country is the pension funds, funds of course. Sure. So, one, one, so the, one obvious choice or an option, and in fact, they've been talked, about this, is to convince the pension funds to invest in certain things, like, for example, in Eskom bonds. Uh, so it's no, it's there, we don't, do not have these sort of, there's no uh, suggestions on the table yet, but, but the reality is that we ran out of money. We need sure. to get the money from somewhere. And the only pot of gold left, like I've said, is the saving uh, pot of gold of the pension funds.
14: Well, Davi, you certainly are painting quite a bleak picture here. <laughs> um, and just very briefly before we let you go, I mean, what needs to happen uh, for things to return to some form of normalcy? Um, as we continue, of course, to feel these effects of COVID-19.
18: Yeah. Well, many things need to happen, but if you talk about the fiscal accounts, about the topics that we're talking about now, the state debt levels and the like, it's the same as an individual. If you if you've maxed out your credit cards and you've maxed out your overdraft and you simply do not have money available anymore, then you have to spend less. That's as simple as that and the state needs to spend less. And unfortunately, uh, I'm afraid there was a pro- probably a, fisk, a shift in, uh, in, in Cabinet. In, in the, the, the president seems to be more involved in, in the budgetary process. Uh, the Minister of, uh, of State on Enterprise, Pravin Gordon, he seems to be more involved in that as well. While tito Buweni, and I, I must tell you I like Tito Buweni, he seems to have been sidelined to an extent. But what must happen we must spend less. That is as simple as that. And if we spend less, I can promise you, cruzato is not going to like that. And that's already mentioned, uh, suggested mm. that uh, mm. that makes life difficult for us. So in the end, it's a political question. But but that but that's what needs to happen. We must spend less money. There's it's it's we, we've maxed out the credit card. We've maxed out the overdraft. Now you have to cut back on your spending. There's no other alternative.
1: That's Davi Roth, Chief Economist at the Efficient Group, on the line speaking to Zikonamiso.
10: WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride. And keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online. Dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs.
11: Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
1: It's 7.44 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabitha Lohoko.
11: Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. The Bank of Botswana's recent Business Expectations survey shows that businesses are starting to see a recovery within a year after the COVID-19 pandemic containment measures hampered economic activity and led to Botswana's most severe economic contraction. The quarterly survey covering the period between July and September 2020 indicated that firms were less pessimistic about economic activity in the third quarter of 2020 compared to the previous quarter. The survey by the Central Bank collects information on the domestic business community's perceptions about the prevailing state of the economy. Zimbabwe's largest mobile provider, Econet Wireless, has blamed erratic power supplies as the cause. The service provider is failing to provide better connectivity to its customers. Presenting the group's performance for the year ended February 2020, Econet Chairperson James Myers said continuous power cuts had choked the group's network quality. Myers says that the service quality and network availability were significantly impacted by power disruptions. The Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in Johannesburg, South Africa, will hear evidence from arms manufacturer Dino Fumaland Systems Chief Financial Officer Peter Kutia. Acting Group Executive Supply Chain and Acquisition at Arms Corps, and former Denal Group Chief Financial Officer, Figi Lim Hlondro, are also expected to testify. On Saturday, the Commission heard a testimony from former SAA Technical Board Chairperson, Yake Kwinana. The Commission learned that Kwinana failed to declare her supplying business with Visilin Zegu. reports.
15: At the time, Nzeku
16: of JM Aviation had invested a large sum of money with Quinana's
11: Forex trading business. despite this, Quinana took part in meetings that resulted in the awarding of one point two billion rent contract to JM Aviation and AAR Corporation.
2: There is nothing in the SAA
12: policy that says you can't do business.
7: I would still do business with JM Aviation but
11: disclose. Queen Anna has denied any conflict of interest and maintained that she had disclosed all her business interests. Tepo SABC News, Johannesburg. Ethiopian Airlines has received two of the ten new Airbus A350-900 ordered in 2017, bringing the total number of its Airbus fleet to 16. Chief Operating Officer at Ethiopian, Ms. Ventasio, says that the airline has been operating a 350 for the last four years, and the addition of these two new aircraft will increase the total to 16. According to reports, many airlines have been downsizing their operations. The World Trade Organization has postponed a General Council special meeting on the appointment of the next Director General scheduled for this afternoon, citing reasons including health situation and current events. Analysts, however, point to contested US presidential polls that saw Joe Biden oust President Donald Trump as the key reason. Since early October, Nigeria's Ngozi Okonjo Iwaela had been facing off against South Korea's Yume hee in the final round of the race to become the new Director General of the organization. The US dollar is trading at 381.50 Nigerian Nara. Eleven eleven Botswana Pula one o seven twelve Kenyan Shilling and twenty sixty one Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, will start in Brazil. One U.S. dollar costs five rule thirty six Russia, seventy seven rubles thirty seven India, seventy three rupees eighty. In China, a dollar is changing hands at sixty one sixty one, and in South Africa, it will cost you fifteen rand fifty eight. The U.S. dollar is also trading at. 75 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets, gold is trading at $1,942 and platinum at $8.94 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $40.26 a barrel. You are listening to Channel Africa.
1: Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
16: First, it's football news. Botswana national football team, the Zebras, have arrived in Zambia ahead of the Africa Cup of Nations Group H qualifier clash on Thursday at the National Heroes Stadium. The Zebras have landed in Zambia without their head coach, Abdel Amruche, who is expected to join them later. Our correspondent, Namuchana Chana Ligezu, reports.
17: Zambia will host the Zebras on Thursday first day at the National Heroes Stadium before winding down the double-header clash on Monday in France. You know, the Zambia National Soccer Team war group in Lusaka. And uh, as I'm talking to now, uh, the foreign-based players uh, have started uh, arriving in the country with uh, Augustine Hemling and uh, Justin Shonga. These are the players uh, that play in South Africa. They have since arrived uh, for this crucial encounter.
16: Still with football news, Zambia uh, Tanzania this time around three South Africa six-one. In the third match of the ongoing Kosaf Under 17 girls tournament at Westbourne Oval in South Africa's Eastern Cape province on Sunday afternoon. This is Tanzania's second win after beating Comoros in the opening match and losing to Zambia in the second match last week. Coach Edna Melek Lema shares her thoughts on the match.
6: For me,
12: I think it was a great performance for us, but it was a tough game for both of but But thanks God, he wins again. We wanted it before because we want to be in a good position to play the final. So uh, we have a last game against Zimbabwe, and uh, we need only one point or three points to reach the final. Our target, as I said before, is to reach the final, to be the champion. So I'm sure and I believe my players can make it to be the champion.
16: This is South Africa's second defeat in the tournament. Coach Simpua Julu shares her thoughts on the performance of her charges.
15: Uh, second defeat for us. Um, the only painful thing about the defeat is that I wish we would have played um, maybe with a different formation. But if we play with a different formation, it means we are not true to ourselves. It means we are conforming to what the opponents are bringing. Unfortunate, quick, quick, um, in the first half, first 10 minutes already, we were under pressure and they scored from set pieces, which is something you'd want to avoid as much as you can, but we couldn't. Um, Tanzania is a team that when you look at, um, you ask yourself that, I wish we were built like that in South Africa.
16: Today is rest day for the Under-17 Tournament. The action continues in the Senior Women's Tournament with four matches taking place. Zimbabwe takes on Botswana at Galvandale Stadium at 12.30 Central African time. Zambia, Malawi at Wolfson Stadium at 12.30 Central African time. Angola will be against Eswatini at Galvandale at 15.30 Central African time. And South Africa face off with Comoros at 15.30 Central African time. Onto cricket news, a pulsating and gripping second IPL qualifier match between Delhi Capitals and Sunrisers Hyderabad. Saw Delhi prevail by 17 runs to advance the final against the defending champions Mumbai Indians at the Sheikh Zahid Stadium in Abu Dhabi. Chasing 190 for victory, the Sunrisers slumped to 44 for 3 inside the power play before Kane Williamson 67 and Abdul Samad 33. Dragged them back into the game only for Kahiso Rabada. Four wickets after 29 runs to snuff out their hopes in the closing overs as they finished 172 for the loss of eight wickets. Golf news: Robert McIntyre claimed he's made an European Tour title in Cyprus and revealed how the coronavirus lockdown made him feel he was wasting away. 24-year-old McIntyre buried four of his last six holes at Aphrodite Hills to card a seven-under par 64 and finished a shot ahead of Japan's Masahiro Kawamura at the Cypress showdown. The top 16 and ties then advanced to sixth Sunday's final round with their scores against reset to level par, setting up an 18-hole shootout for $237,000 1st prize money. Left-handed McIntyre says he did not think too much about winning a tournament in the past month.
5: I've done a lot of work in the last, I say, six months of not thinking about winning a golf tournament, just going through play my golf. Um, last year I was talking and thinking about winning golf tournaments when I was going down the back nine on a Sunday. Um, but this year I've just tried to take my time and let it happen. What will happen will happen, and today it's happened.
16: That's sport news this hour.
0: Africa Rise and Shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amika, Na Unai.
1: That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Mahomet, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za, WhatsApp on plus or tweet us at channelafrica1. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Moya Wami by Zikote, featuring Master KG, who has just won the Best African Act at MTV European Music Awards. Goodbye and keep safe.
8: Telo ya kinga pesulu kunagele ubumshaba kunge shule pilole ayikolula sundama kasi kunagele
6: tuto telo ya kinga pesulu kunagele ubumshaba kunge shule pilole ayikolula falumoya.